don't know if you caught the words to that, because that's the important part. That's a powerful, powerful song. And if you've ever been there, you understand what he was going through. Right? Have you ever been to a point where everything around you looks like it's not going the way it's supposed to? Maybe everything around you is going differently than even what God told you it would. It doesn't make sense. Right? Where is he? God, I need to hear from you. I need to know what's going on. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever cried out to God, saying, Lord, where are you? I want to hear from you. See, one thing, when I first saw that video, it reminded me of David. And when you look at David and you really understand David's life, and if you read anywhere in the Psalms at all, you'll know he spent much of his life crying out to God. Just crying out for that understanding, that intimacy, that knowing that God is there with him. I don't know about you, but I could really relate to that. Because, see, we can't see God. God is, is not going to, you know, physically walk up, put his arm around me. I mean, he certainly could, but he hasn't. Right? I don't see him, I believe, by faith. And when he chooses not to say something to me, because he has already told me something, perhaps in his word, or in another way, and he is building my faith, it creates these times in our life that we call valleys. These times in our life where we know what we're supposed to do, but we, we haven't heard from him. So it's like, okay, did I miss that? Did I, did I hear something wrong? Did I, you know, go a wrong way that I shouldn't have or something else? See, we're talking about, and we, we, we ended the series basically on the gifts of the Spirit. I, I, I decided not to go into the individual gifts because that, that's something more on a training class. What we, what we have to understand from that, though, is the intimacy that God wants with us. He wants to be our best friend. He wants to have an interaction with us that is constant. Okay, but there are times, though, when you have that, where he is silent, right? Those are the tough times. That oftentimes we call those the valleys, where we're not hearing from him. From him, and I want to give you an example of one. This this last week, I was I've been going through Isaiah in my in my personal time with God, and this last week I went through an example in Isaiah of this very thing, and that was the King Hezekiah. And we're we're gonna we're gonna do a lot of scripture this morning, but it's all gonna be basically in the same place. I want you to go ahead and turn to Isaiah chapter thirty six. And have you ever been in a place where everything seems hopeless? Where it really seems hopeless, where things are so far out of your control that you're not even sure what to do? See, this is where Hezekiah found himself. Hezekiah was one of the good kings, okay, of Judah. 
And he was one who followed God, who trusted God, right? And what I'm going to talk about this morning is, one, where he found himself at this moment, where we're going to read in, in, verse 30, or in chapter 36, where things were out of his control, things were different than what God had told him. But then you're going to see as we develop this over the course of this message that it really is going to be a comparison between two reactions, what I call the tale of two letters. Okay, and we're going to see what he does in these two different instances. So before we do, let's pray and let's invite the Holy Spirit to just open up the word and help us to receive it. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you, we thank you, we praise you, God. We thank you for the intimacy that you have with us. We thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit who is given in one function to make Scripture come alive to us. We pray for that this morning, God, that as we open your word and we begin to understand these passages here, the, this thing that Hezekiah went through, God, help your words to just jump off the page. Help us to be able to apply them today to our very lives. God, we ask for your presence. And we thank you for it in advance. In Jesus' precious name, amen. So we're going to find in, in Isaiah chapter 36, we're going to start... And, and basically, we're going to cover chapters 36 through 38, or pieces of. But we're going to start at verse 16. Hezekiah finds himself surrounded by the king of Assyria. Okay, The king of Assyria at that time was very, very powerful. You, if, if you can imagine that your most powerful enemy has come and completely surrounded you. Nothing you can do. You know, you don't see it nowadays, but back then they would lay a siege on a city, right? They would completely surround the walls of the city, cutting off everything. They can't bring in food. They can't bring in water. They can't, they can't function until at some point they're going to open those, those gates, right? So that, that's what was happening here. And let's, let's read verses 16. This is of uh, Isaiah 36, verse 16 to 22. And it says this. I'm reading out of the ESV. Do not listen to Hezekiah. This is, this is the king of Assyria saying that, or actually his, his managers, his, his generals, saying this to the people on the wall in Jerusalem. Do not listen to Hezekiah, for thus says the king of Assyria, Make your peace with me and come out to me. Then each, each one of you will eat of his own vine, and each one of his own fig tree, and each one of you will drink the water of own, his own cistern, until I come and take you away to a land like your own land, a land of grain and wine, a land of bread and vineyards. Beware lest Hezekiah mislead you by saying, the Lord will deliver us. Has any of the gods of the nations delivered his hand out of the hand of the king of Assyria? And see, what the king of Assyria here was speaking was truth. See, they had conquered nation after nation after nation. And what he's talking about there is, is the gods of those nations. See, back then it was kind of like, my God is stronger than your God. 
right? The king of Assyria worshipped a specific god, and he was taking over all these nations. So what he was saying to him was truth, because he had already taken these over, and he's saying, you know, is your god any stronger than these other gods? Don't let Hezekiah fool you. So let's pick it back up here. Verse 19. Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Seraphim? Have they delivered Samaria out of my hand? Who among all the gods of these lands have delivered their hands out of my hand? Their lands out of my hand. That the Lord should deliver Jerusalem out of my hand? But they were silent, the men of Jerusalem. They were silent and answered him not a word, for the king's command was, do not answer him. Then Eliakim, the son of Hilkah, who was over the household, and Shibna, the secretary, secretary, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder, came to Hezekiah. So all these people that were up on the wall, that were hearing what the king of Assyria was saying, they then came to Hezekiah. They tore their clothes, and they told him the words that his manager had told him. So all the things that, that the, the, the messenger of the king of Assyria had said. So you can imagine here how distraught Hezekiah is. First of all, Hezekiah has followed the Lord his life, throughout his life. He had followed the Lord, and now he's surrounded by an enemy that doesn't believe in his God. Not only that, he's surrounded by an enemy that mocks the very God he believes. Who says, who, who is your God? Your God can't take care of this. Why? Because none of these other gods could either. What makes your God better than any of them? See, because back then all those gods were just made by hand. But the king of Assyria didn't know Hezekiah's God. He had never gone up against him before. But I want you to understand the scene, right? Okay, when, when a city is sieged, it's kind of a nasty scene. You know, this is not, hey, we're just kind of talking over the wall and everything's good. And No, there, there is a significant amount of fear involved in this. When they lay siege to a city, the city goes hungry. They go thirsty. Oftentimes, they turn to cannibalism before they'll open up those gates because they know what's happening then. Right? These were not short processes. In fact, the Roman army, they would plan to lay siege. When they would siege a city, they would plan up to 15 years. Whatever it took. They would stay there until the job was done. So I want you to understand Hezekiah's mind frame right now. He's completely surrounded. He's surrounded by people that want to kill him or take him into captivity and make them slaves. Right? And they're already in the land that was promised. And here this king of Assyria is saying, come and I'll take you to another land. It's like yours, don't worry. It's like yours. You'll be fine. Okay, so that's the mind frame that Hezekiah is in. So he goes to God, and God tells Hezekiah not to worry, that he would take care of it. 
I want, let's go down to chapter 37 and let's read verses 6 and 7. And it, this is, uh, uh, Hezekiah goes to Isaiah. Isaiah goes before the Lord and this is the Lord's answer. Verses 6 and 7 say this. Isaiah said to them, say to your master, thus says the Lord, do not be afraid because of the words that you have heard with which the young men of the king of Assyria have reviled me. Behold, I will put a spirit in him, so that he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land, and I will make him fall by the sword of his own land. So you can imagine, Hezekiah is relieved, right? Hezekiah hears this word from the Lord, and is relieved to find out, Okay, it's going to be okay. Why? Because he believes the Lord. He knows that the Lord is not lying. He knows that the Lord has the power to fulfill it. So he's confident. He knows what the Lord's going to do. However, let's go back to the scene. Nothing's changed. The siege, the armies are still all encompassed about Jerusalem. They're still locked in this city, and they still have the same problems they did a moment ago before they went before the Lord. Nothing's changed. The only thing that's changed is a promise. The only thing that is there now is that the Lord said, this is what will happen. So Hezekiah had to put his confidence in that. So again, really absorb and understand, put yourself in the place of this scene. And what's going on? God just promised you something, but nothing's changed. Has that ever happened to you? Where you read a promise in the Word of God and and the Holy Spirit speaks to you and says, this is what I want to do. This is what I'm going to do in your life. And you believe that. You know that. You know He just spoke to you. And yet the scene doesn't change. Nothing changes. That's where Hezekiah was at this point. I want you to understand what happens next. Hezekiah then receives a letter taunting him and taunting God. This is the first of the two letters that I'm preaching about this morning. Let's read what what he says here. This is in verse 14 of Isaiah 37 says this. Down to 14. Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. So he receives a letter from the king of Assyria. Remember, the king had already said everything. He had already said what he's going to do. He had already told the the men of the city, look, just, just give up. Don't worry, we're, we're, we're gonna, you're gonna be able to still drink from your own wells, you're gonna be able to eat of your own vine, and then eventually we'll take you to our place, and it's, it's as nice as this one. He already told him all that, but now he ramps it up a little bit for Hezekiah, because see, from Hezekiah's point of view, nothing changed, except for what the Lord promised. So he, he sends this letter, Then Hezekiah lays the letter before God. 
and ask God to follow through on his promise. Let's read verses 15 to 20. This is chapter 37. Verse 15 says this, And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, You are the God. You alone of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see, and hear all the words of Sennacherib. He was the king of Assyria, which he has sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the king of Assyria have laid waste all the nations and their lands and have cast their gods into the fire. For they were no gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they were destroyed. So now, O Lord, save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone are the Lord. So what happened here is, Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, he sent this letter. This letter mocking God, which he had kind of done already by saying that, how is your God going to be any different than the other gods? But again, let's go back to the scene, because how many times has this happened in your life where you know something the Lord has for you, you're pursuing that, you're following that, you believe that, but then something else hits, because nothing changed, Something else hits only for you to realize that it really ramped up the stakes, even worse. See, before he was saying, here's what's going to happen, and, you know, your, your God isn't going to be, be able to resist me, but it'll be okay. Now, Sennacherib, he ratchets it up a little bit and says that now he is mocking the God. So Hezekiah, remember, Hezekiah is receiving all this. He's hearing that this guy's getting worse. Even though the Lord told him it'll be okay, it's getting worse. I really want you to apply that in your own life. Think about a time where the Lord told you perhaps something that he wanted you to do. I think of that for this church. What he's told us, he wants to do through us. But yet, we don't see that happening. As he builds our faith, something else happens to make it seem like, well, maybe what he said, really, maybe I'm misunderstanding. Maybe he really didn't say what he said. And now I'm confused. See, that's where Hezekiah was when he went and laid these letters before the Lord. He laid them before the Lord and said, Lord, see? See what he's doing? He's mocking you. And I'm scared. I don't understand. Please, Lord, fulfill what you said you're going to do. See, that reaction is exactly what we're supposed to do. What Hezekiah did was he took that very thing that after the Lord said what was going to happen, then the king of Assyria came back and said, no, 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 and started to mock. 
He took those letters, he took that very mocking, and he said, Lord, I believe you. I believe you, I'm laying this down, please help me. Help me to, to get past this. Help us. So he took those letters, he laid them before the Lord. And then God says exactly what he was going to do to Sennacherib. And then he does it. Let's read in chapter 37, verse 33. Uh, and, and by the way, there's so many things. We're skipping some things here for the purpose of this message. But I, I want to encourage you, go back and read chapters 36, 37, and 38. Understand this whole story. There's so much more to it than even what I'm telling you this morning. But the Lord doesn't leave him hanging. He tells him exactly what he's going to do. Verse 33 of chapter 37, and we'll read through 37. It says this. Therefore, thus saith the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into this city or shoot an arrow there or come before it with a shield or cast up a siege mount (coughs) against it. By the way that he came, by the same he shall return. And he shall not come into this city, declares the Lord. For I will defend this city to save it, for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. And the angel of the Lord went out. So so remember, what, what he's saying now, okay, Hezekiah lays these letters before the Lord. Then the Lord speaks through his prophet Isaiah, and Isaiah tells Hezekiah what he said, what the Lord said. So, And that, that's what we just read. This is what he's going to do to the king. Don't worry, he's not going to come in your city. Don't worry, he's, he's, gonna, he's not going to be able to go against anything that I said, is, is what God's telling him. And then in verse 36 and 37, we see what actually happened. And the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when people arose in the morning, behold, they were all dead bodies. Then Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and returned home and lived at Nineveh. And then it it goes on, if, if you read through verse 38... It goes on to say exactly what happened to Sennacherib, which earlier in the story wasn't part of what we're talking about here. But it said exactly how he was going to die. It was proof positive that the Lord's hand was all over this. So what happened is he laid this before the Lord. The Lord said, here's what's going to happen. And then he did it. I mean, can you imagine the, the... the best estimates that I've, I've seen between 200,000 and 250,000 were in that, the army outside of Jerusalem at that time. So an angel of the Lord goes and he kills 185,000 of them. He could have killed them all, right? He didn't because there were some that survived. There were some that when they woke up in the morning, they saw all the others dead. Those had to go back then to Assyria and say, We found a God you don't mess with. Right? And that's exactly what happened. The king of Assyria couldn't do a thing. He couldn't do anything to him. 
Why? Because God had said what he was going to do, and God is right and 100% always follows through with what he says. That's why the Bible is so important to us. That's why his promises are so important to us. Because we could go through and we can read the promises that he, that he has and that we can apply to our lives, and we could trust him in it. I can tell you back, back when 9-11 happened, and, and we were in a trans, we had a transportation company and we had, we had accounts in Tower 2 of the World Trade Center. And we lost a lot that day. We did mostly corporate work and we lost 95% of our business right then through that whole thing. 95% of our business was just knocked out from underneath us. And so you can imagine how your world gets rocked. We didn't know we, we had 50 plus employees. We didn't know what we were going to do. And so as we began trying to see what God wants and pursuing him, he begins to show us. But yet there was this, this faith step. Okay, I became intimately in love with a verse through that process. It was, and you've probably heard me quote it a million times, 2 Corinthians 9.8. But my God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. See, what that basically says, paraphrased, is if I give you something to do, I'll give you everything you need to do it with. Everything you need. See, that's a promise. That's a promise in the Word of God. And God, as we just saw in Hezekiah's case, He doesn't lie. He follows through with what he says he's going to do, no matter what it looks like. No matter if you see the Assyrian army, 250,000 people out there that can easily destroy you, and there's nothing but a wall holding you between you and them, and God's promise. See, the fact that you have God's promise on your side, the fact that Hezekiah had God's promise on his side, was all he needed. And, and I want to encourage you to do a study of those three chapters, because there's really a lot more going on there than, than even what we've gone over. How God took care of getting him out of there is really quite profound. And in fact, I, I do want to read a verse for you. I don't want to get into this, because it'll kind of derail us a little bit. But in verse 26... Of Isaiah 37, God said this, Have you not heard <clears throat> that I determined it long ago? I planned from days of old what now I bring to pass. See, there's nothing that surprises God. Nothing that he doesn't know. What you're going through right now in your life, these confusing things that you may not fully understand, he does. He knows every little bit of it. He understands where you're at. He understands where your heart is. He understands where your faith is. And oftentimes, when we're wavering in our faith, that's the very thing he works on. So that takes us back to the promises. The promises that he gives. See, I knew... In, in going through the situation that we did with 9-11, I knew that I could count on him. I didn't know how he was going to do it. 
And after I claimed that promise, and we trusted and we prayed and we knew what he wanted us to do, things didn't change right away. Right? Things don't change right away because he needs to have the faith part, faith on our part. And time is the only thing that produces faith. You can't just say, God, I will follow you, I will trust you, and I will do what you say, and then, boom, within a moment, you've accomplished it. See, it doesn't work that way. Why? Because of Hebrews 11.6. It's faith that pleases him. It's faith that he builds in our lives that make us stronger. So that's the very thing he's going to work in every one of our lives. When you make the decision to seek him, be sold out for him, to follow him, rest assured you are going to go through time and time again of silence. You're going to go through times where you know what he said, but the situation doesn't change. That army's still sitting right on the other side of the wall. And you don't know how to get rid of him. You know he said that he'll take care of it, but you don't know when. You don't know what collateral damage you'll sustain in the meantime. All these things start going through our minds of what we want to control. Well, I know he's going to do it, but maybe until then I've got to do this, this, and this. Because I need to control that collateral. What I see is collateral damage. Or what I see is pain to me. Because sometimes one of the biggest pains is not knowing. Not knowing what he really wants to do in our lives. You know, it's almost like we look at God as our father that sits up there and looks at our life as a whole and saying, well, I, you know, I'll work this in this person's life and I'll work it over here and do this and do, because this is, this is kind of the direction I want them to go. When in reality, God's looking down at each one of us and he's saying, I just want to be intimate with them. See, I don't care what they do. I, it, it's not so much about some ministry they're a part of or, or that, that they're doing this for me or that for me. I want to be intimate with them. I want that relationship with them. That very relationship that requires faith. Because we can't see him. So how does he build that? He builds it by saying that he's going to do something and then giving it time. I don't know about you, that's one of the hardest things in being a Christian. Is waiting for him to do what he says he's going to do. When in reality, what he's really doing is building our faith. Because that's what produces the intimacy. So this was the example of how Hezekiah went and laid these letters before the Lord. And I want to just, in contrast, give one other story. Let's take a look at another letter in contrast. Hezekiah becomes sick, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to skip through some of this here. Hezekiah basically gets really sick. To the point of death, God even says, you know, through Isaiah, he says, you know, get your issues in order because you're going to die. 
Hezekiah then breaks down, asks God for more time. Please, Lord, more time. And and the Lord grants it. The Lord grants him 15 more years. Okay? God heals Hezekiah, gives him these 15 more years. Let's read it, chapter 38, verse 1 through 7. In those days, Hezekiah became sick and was to the point of death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die, you shall not recover. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord and said, Please, O Lord, remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness, and with a whole heart, and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah, Go and say to Hezekiah, Thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Behold, I will add 15 years to your life. I will deliver you and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria and will defend this city. This shall be a sign to you from the Lord that the Lord will do this thing that he had promised. And it goes into a sign that that he gives, which again is, is a side study. Very interesting. Okay, so what just happened was he was going to die, and now the Lord said no. He heals him, and he's going to add 15 years to his life. Now a king from a distant country, Babylon, which Babylon had not risen to power yet. Okay, understand that, that Babylon was like this way far off country, right? Not, not risen to power. Heard that Hezekiah was sick and then healed. This king, the king of Babylon, sent Hezekiah a letter and gifts. Look at verse 39, verse 1. At that time, Moradak Baladan, the son of Baladan, the king of Babylon, sent envoys with letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he heard that he had been sick and that he had recovered. Okay, so he sent him another series of letters. This is the second set of letters that Hezekiah had received. Now, Hezekiah did not take this letter before the Lord. I want you to get that. These are two contrasting situations. The one before where the king of Assyria was mocking him, he took before the Lord because it wasn't what God had promised. God, you need to do what you promised. Because my life is at stake here. I am uncomfortable here. I don't like living how I'm living. God, you promised. Here's the letters. He's mocking you. Do something about it. That was the first letter. The second set of letters that he receives from this king of Babylon, he just takes them. Right? He doesn't take them before the Lord. Instead, he welcomed them gladly, these envoys from Babylon, and showed them his innermost secrets. Verse 2 of 39 says this, And Hezekiah welcomed them gladly, and he showed them his treasure house, the silver, the gold, the spices, the precious oil, his whole army, and all that was found in his storehouses. There was nothing in his house or in all his realm, that Hezekiah did not show them. That's pride. See, he didn't, he didn't take it before the Lord, 
Because this was building him up. This was making him feel good. You can imagine that they had just seen the Assyrian army leave. They had just seen this great victory that he had poured his heart out before the Lord to see happen. He just went through all that. So what does Satan do? He's smart. Well, if I can't get him that way, I'll get him the easy way, through pride. So now these envoys come and, and, oh, Hezekiah, you were healed and you were going to die and you were healed. And and we heard what the king of Assyria, what he did. and, And by the way, the king of Assyria went back home and was killed. Exactly how God said it would happen. Right now, Hezekiah is feeling pretty good. He was supposed to die. God gave him 15 more years. He's feeling pretty good. How would you feel if you knew exactly how much more time you had? Pretty wild, right? Especially if you knew that your time was up and he gave you more. So Hezekiah is feeling pretty good about this. He receives letters. What he should have done is taken those and laid them before the Lord. Lord, what do I do now? Okay, this this foreign country, they're coming. They sent me these letters saying they're so glad that I lived, but but God, I know we're fighting an enemy we cannot see. So what, what do you want me to do? See, that's what Hezekiah should have done. Instead, he didn't. He just took them in, and because of their flattery, he showed them everything. <laughs> he showed them the very things that made him vulnerable. Now, at this time, Babylon was not risen to power. But as you study and understand history... That didn't, that did happen. Babylon did rise to power. And what he did there by showing them everything ruined what he had. So, so Judah and Jerusalem, they lost everything because of this. Because he did not take it before the Lord and he did not seek counsel of God through his own pride, their, their flattery of him, he just took them in and opened up the doors for them. This is what happened. Let's read verses 3 through 7 of chapter 39. Then Isaiah the prophet came to King Hezekiah and said to him, What did these men say? And from where did they come to you? Hezekiah said, They have come from a far country from Babylon. He said, What have they seen in your house? Hezekiah answered, They have seen all that is in my house. There is nothing in my storehouses that I did not show them. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And some of your own sons who will come from you, these are sons that haven't even been born yet, whom you will father, shall be taken away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. See, he loses everything because of this. Right? The Lord said, you will lose everything because of your pride. You didn't bring it to me like you did the first letter. And so there's going to be significant loss because of you doing that. 
And I want to look at one last point here. Hezekiah still looked at it, and, and this I really want to apply to our everyday life here. If, if you can imagine, before I read on, if you can imagine that, that again, you're, you're in this same walk, apply it to your life today, you're in this same walk where God has promised you something, right? And, and then, then it didn't happen, you lay it before him and you plead with him, and then it happens, Whatever he promised you, he, he, he took care of a situation in your life. Maybe it was a, a health situation. Maybe it was financial. Maybe it was circumstantial. But he took care of it. After building your faith and you going pleading before him, he took care of it. And then now you're feeling pretty good. Now you're, you're feeling like you kind of got your arms wrapped around life. And that everything is good. And then the enemy sneaks in a different way. And perhaps, just like Hezekiah, through flattery, causes your pride to swell. And now the Lord says, and and then you make a mistake. You make a mistake because of that pride. And the Lord says, here's what's going to happen because you didn't bring it to me. Right, that's the situation going on. But I want you to understand Hezekiah's response because it floored me when I read it. It, 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 it was just so different than what I expected. Verse 8 says this, Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The word of the Lord that you have spoken is good, for he thought there will be peace and security in my days. How often do we see where the Lord is trying to chastise us? As good. In, in other words, when something happens, we say, oh, well, that's really what the Lord wanted. He really wanted to do it that way because we can't come to a place to understand that maybe it was because of our sin we allowed it to go that way. How often does that happen? And in our own mind, we say, oh, well, that's good. The Lord's having his will in that. See, it wasn't his will. For Babylon to come and take all of that away. That was never God's desire. It was because of Hezekiah's pride that it allowed that to happen. How often do we let pride leak into our own lives? Where instead of taking those letters before the Lord, we just say, no Lord, I got this one. I'm good on this one. I don't need it because I don't see the problems. I don't see the Assyrian army outside the, outside the gate. I don't see the problems coming up, so I got this one. Don't worry, you got the last one, thank you. I got this one because I got it under control. And see, that's where Satan gets us. Because a relationship is a relationship with everything, not just when we need him. Not just when we need God. Hey God, life's going a little rough. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be intimate with you. I'm going to open up my Bible. I'm going to see what you have to say to me. Open it up point, and read, okay? And, and I say that kind of jokingly, but in reality, that is most of Christianity. We seek God when we have trouble. We seek God when we need Him. We seek God when we see the the opposing army on the other side of the door. 
That's when we seek God, and, and that's when we're fervent about it. But do we seek Him when it's good? Do we seek Him when we don't see the enemy? See, Babylon was as much of an enemy as Assyria. In fact, it was Babylon that ends up doing what the Lord said, coming and taking them over, bringing them out of Jerusalem, bringing them into slavery. But yet Hezekiah didn't see any of that because he, he, had, he, he had it under control. He knew he was good in this one because he didn't see the enemy. Don't kid yourself. The enemy, if you are a Christian, you have accepted Jesus Christ into your heart, you have an enemy. You have an enemy you cannot see. You have an enemy that is strategic and knows how to get to you. And it's no surprise that he often uses pride. Because that's the very thing that was found in his heart when he fell. So God uses, or the enemy uses our pride and our self-confidence against us. So the basic lesson is this. It doesn't matter the letter you receive. When you receive something from anybody, you take it before the Lord. When you know his promises, and yet you see the enemy telling you something different, take it before the Lord. Take it before him and say, God, he's mocking you. Help me. You promised this. I claim it. I trust it. And then wait on him. But when it's good, all the more. All the more take it to him. God, this looks really good. This this new job possibility in my life, this new career, this new path, this new relationship. God, this looks really good, but I need to hear from you. I don't want to rely on my own confidence in this. Because if we do, first of all, that's not a relationship. That's not a relationship. If you have a relationship where you're only intimately going to that person when you need something, or you think you need something, that's not going to go very far. You know, as well as I do, that's not, a, that's not intimacy. We have to go to him const- constantly, all the time. That's why Paul said, I pray all the time. He said, I, I never cease in prayer. Because his relationship with Lord Jesus Christ was such that he was interacting with him all the time. We can do the same thing. In fact, God wants us to do the same thing. He wants us to trust him when the enemy's at the gate. And he wants us to trust him when we think everything's going great. Because his guidance is the only thing that's going to take us where we need to be. Where he wants us to be. And we can trust him in that. So we need to take everything before the Lord. And just be careful to think that you got this one. See, that was rough on Hezekiah. Not just him. It didn't just affect him. But it affected everybody in his family. Everybody that he was king over. 
all of Judah and Jerusalem fell because of that one decision. That's how we need to look at our relationship with Christ, is taking everything before him. Let's bow our hearts in prayer.